Hi, I'm Alan. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Car Trip Theater. My family and I listen to podcasts and audiobooks in the car, which makes road trips, and even the ride home from school, a little more enjoyable, which is how I came up with the name. You do not have to be in a car to enjoy this show, though. You can be at home, on the train, on the bus, at the library, at the park. It doesn't really matter. I've got a full show today, so I'm going to jump right into the good stuff. We'll start with a poem, then a story called Partners in Mime. And later, I'm even going to sit down with the star of the story for a brief interview. So here we go. Here's the first poem of Car Trip Theater. It's called, If I Was an Only Child. And it's dedicated to anyone who has an annoying brother or sister. Or anyone who is an annoying brother or sister. Today's poem is called, If I Was an Only Child. If I was an only child, I'd be less mean and less wild. I'd help you set the table, and I'd even be able to eat broccoli and kale, sometimes green beans as well, if I was an only child. If I was an only child, I'd be kind, friendly, and mild. I would not be a screamer, nor a fighter or schemer. I'd listen, I'd help, and I'd love. I'd be a kid you'd be proud of. If I was an only child. If I was an only child, I'd never leave my clothes piled on the floor to get smelly or slam doors or get yelly. I would keep my room cleanish. I would never be meanish if I was an only child. If I was an only child, nobody'd get me up riled or annoy me or pester me. I'd be a great rester. I'd always share, I'd always care, I'd always smile, I'd never glare, if I was an only child. If I was an only child, if I was an only child, I'd be so lonely and sad, and I would wish that I had my own sister or brother, at least one or the other. So I guess that I'm grateful, even if I seem hateful, that I'm not an only child. If you liked that poem, there's more to come. If you really hated it, just be glad it wasn't very long. Dad? Yes, George? I have a poem. Okay, let's hear it. Johanna touched the sky, too low to touch her toe. Cool, George. That was awesome. Thanks. Now, goodbye. I'm going to the store. And now, an annoying interruption from our sponsor. Hello, kids. Today's program is brought to you by... Listening. Listening, kids, you want to have fun. You want to maintain access to your favorite toys. Do you want to get presents instead of socks that don't even fit on your birthday? Try this simple trick. The next time your parents talk to you, ask you to do something, or just try to get your attention so they can ask a simple Beep. question. Just listen. Listening. At home. In the car. At the store. Listening is the proper compliment to any activity. Listening. Try it sometime. Yeah. 
Today's story is called Partners in Mime. This story is set in a magical place called Los Angeles, California, specifically Venice Beach. It was a hot day at the beach, about 95 degrees Fahrenheit. But the people there didn't mind the heat because they were at the beach. The beach itself was quite crowded with sunbathers, sandcastle architects, crab hunters, volleyball players, joggers, surfers, swimmers, waders, bird watchers, and sundry beach-themed characters. But this story is actually about the boardwalk, not the beach. The boardwalk, or promenade, was a paved strip between the sandy beach and the streets, shops, and buildings. The Venice Beach boardwalk was always busy and always interesting filled with artists, performers, musicians, cyclists, skaters, tourists, and sundry boardwalk-themed characters. All of these characters have their own stories, but this particular story is about a mime. Across from a t-shirt shop, tucked in between a painter and a one-man band, the mime was putting on an excellent show. A mime, for those of you who don't live near a boardwalk, is a type of artist who performs without speaking or making any noises. Here is an example. Mime's only props are their own bodies. The most famous mime in history was Marcel Marceau, who doesn't have anything to do with this story. I only mention him because he was famous. Humans tend to show more interest in a subject if you can connect it to a famous person. The mime at the center of our story was named Margaret, but her mime name was Zoya the Clown. She was dressed in classic mime attire. Billowy black pants, black shoes, a white long sleeve shirt with horizontal black stripes, black suspenders, a black bowler hat, a red kerchief around her neck, her face painted white, her lips as red as fruit punch. She was, for an audience of seven people, only four of whom were really paying attention, getting into an imaginary car. First, she set her imaginary coffee on top of the car. Then she reached her keys to unlock the door. And of course, you need to remember that there was no door, there was no car, there were no keys, and she dropped the keys. She picked up the keys, dropped them again, picked them up again. After she finally got the door open, she bumped her head while climbing into the seat. She rubbed her head in pain, then pulled the door closed and placed both hands on the steering wheel. You could tell by her face that she knew she was forgetting something, and then her expression told you that she remembered what it was. Then she rolled down the window, which was a bit of a struggle because it was an old car with hand crank windows and the crank liked to stick. And when she got it rolled down, she reached out the window and started feeling around the roof of the car until she found her coffee. She brought it into the car and placed it in the cup holder and started to roll up the window, but it wasn't worth the effort. She turned on the car, put it in gear. She almost forgot the seatbelt. The car routine goes on for a bit and it's worth seeing, but in the interest of time, I need to skip ahead to the next bit. A classic routine in which the mime finds herself trapped inside a box. We can't see the box, but it's there, and she's stuck in it. She was just walking along, and wham! She slammed into a wall. She tried to go around, wham! Another wall. She felt around her in every direction, and it was nothing but walls. Four smooth walls with no cracks or handholds or rungs to climb up. Normally, she would get out of the box by using an invisible jackhammer and shovel to dig her way under it. But something unexpected happened. As she was feeling the front of the box, searching for a weak spot, a hole, anything, 
She saw someone walk up to one of the audience members, a kindly-looking elderly gentleman in a wheelchair, and yoink a $5 bill that had been protruding from the gentleman's shirt pocket. Okay, you can say. It's never a good policy to let your $5 bills protrude visibly from your shirt pockets, and that's true. But it's also not a good policy to yoink other people's money, especially if we're talking about the money of a kindly-looking elderly gentleman in a wheelchair. No one else had seen what happened. The man in the wheelchair was not able to chase after the thief. Only Zoya the Clown was in a position to help, but she was trapped inside a box. Zoya faced a dilemma. She could pursue the thief and retrieve the money, but if she left her post, she would lose her audience. The show would be over and her audience wouldn't be able to drop a few dollars in her black bowler hat, which she always passed around at the end of a show. She couldn't scream, stop, thief, because she was in character. A mime can speak in her personal life, but once you put on the makeup, you're in character. You can't speak. There was only one thing to do. She used a blowtorch to cut her way out of the box. She bowed to the audience in apology and pointed to the absconding thief, and she raced off in pursuit. She soon realized she had no chance of catching the thief on foot. She needed wheels. No cars are allowed on the boardwalk, but there is a bike lane. She carefully mounted an imaginary bicycle and pedaled frantically. She made great progress with this method, but soon the thief noticed her catching up to him, and he yoinked a frozen banana from a frozen banana stand, yanked off the peel, and tossed the peel on the ground in the path of the pedaling mime, who was riding too fast to swerve around the banana peel without crashing. And when she rode over the banana peel, the bike slid out of control, and she crashed to the ground. The mime, while dazed and bruised, would not be deterred. She knew she couldn't catch the thief by running, but mimes are nothing if not persistent. She sat on a bench, an imaginary bench, and placed some imaginary roller skates on her feet. When she had them properly laced, she stood up, a bit wobbly at first, rolled in a couple circles while she found her balance, and skated out to the death of the thief. By this time, many people on the boardwalk were watching and cheering, and the cheering gave her confidence. She skated like an Olympian and closed in on her target quickly. She had learned her lesson after the banana peel incident. She wouldn't allow him to foil her again, so as she skated, she pulled out an imaginary lasso, which she circled around her head a few times as she took aim and whipped the loop through the air, snagging the thief who jerked to a stop. The mime skated up to her visitor and took the $5 bill from his pocket. She left him tangled up in the imaginary rope to be collected by the police. The crowd cheered Zoya as a hero, but the clown had no ears for them. She had to return the money. She zoomed back to her spot across from the t-shirt shop and was relieved to find the kindly-looking elderly man still there, a look of joy on his face as she approached. She humbly returned his $5 bill and bowed for her enthusiastic audience. The show was over, so she took off her bowler hat, which soon filled with money, more money than she would normally earn in an entire day of performing. The kindly-looking elderly gentleman placed the $5 bill that had been returned to him in the hat. He smiled and wheeled himself away. The police came over, the handcuffed thief in tow. They needed to take a statement. Zoya was the only witness, and their victim had disappeared. Listen, the thief said to the mime, I'm sorry, but hey, we make a great team. When I get out the joint, what say we pair up? Make this a regular conclusion to your act. 
I always wanted to be an artist, but I just never found my talent. Until now, I'm ready to give up my life of pilfering and make art. Miss, we just need a statement. Just tell us what happened. Said the police officer, we're going to call the first police officer. Does she even talk or what? Said the other police officer, the one we'll call the second police officer, who was not as patient as the first police officer. When I get out, I'll come see you here, said the repentant thief. And maybe you'll give me a chance. Is that okay? Just nod if that's okay. The mime looked into his previously thievish eyes. Miss, please, just tell us what happened, said the first police officer. She's a mime, officer, said the artist thief. Can't you see that? She's in character. She can't talk. Great, said the second police officer, who actually didn't think any of this was great at all. That's just what we need when our shift's about to end. A witness who can't talk. Can you just show us what happened? Said the first police officer. The mime smiled. She silently coughed something up. A key. An imaginary key. Which she used to unlock the handcuffs. The thief stepped free, rubbing his hands, spreading them far apart as if to test whether he was really free or if he was involved in some bizarre illusion. The mime placed a hand on his back, gently turned him away from the puzzled police officers, and led him over to her open-air, stageless stage. Together, they packed up the imaginary box, and temporarily in violation of the Venice Beach boardwalk traffic rules, drove off in the imaginary car. The police officers looked at each other in disbelief. Whatever, said the grumpy second police officer, and they walked away. Mimes don't make good witnesses. Epilogue. I don't like stories that end with someone going to jail. So the ending of this story was a big relief for me. You might be wondering, the more skeptical among you might even be scoffing as you're wondering, how the mime in this story was able to chase after a thief on an imaginary bicycle or tangle him up in an imaginary rope. If you haven't figured it out yet, I suggest you listen to the beginning of the story again. This story is set in a magical place. 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 This story is set in a magical place called Los Angeles, California, specifically Venice Beach. Magical. If this story had been set in a non-magical place, it would have turned out very differently. I hope you enjoyed the story. As a reminder, today's episode was brought to you by listening. Listening. Anytime is the right time for listening. I'm joined in the studio by a very special guest, the protagonist or main character of Partners in Mime, Zoya the Clown. And she's wearing her makeup. She decided to come for a podcast interview in full mime costume. Welcome, Zoya. Thanks for taking time out of your day and traveling all the way from Los Angeles to visit with me. In case you didn't hear, this is the debut episode of Car Trip Theater, so it's a big deal for us, and we're all very glad you were able to be a part of it. If you would, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, this is going great. So what did you think of our first episode?
I guess maybe a story about a mime wasn't the best choice for a podcast. Beginner's mistake. I see. I'll definitely take your suggestions into consideration. Those are good notes. But I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for stopping by and safe travels on your journey home to California. How are you traveling? By airplane? Oh, by jetpack. That's incredible. Whoa, don't turn it off the studio slash bathroom! There she goes. Zoe the Clown on her way back home to Venice Beach. That's it. That's the show. If you liked it, keep an eye out for episode two. Honestly, it might be a while before the next one comes out because I'm going to be pretty busy fixing this giant hole in my recording studio slash bathroom. Please consider telling your friends about us. I also encourage you to send your own poems, silly or serious. Our email address is cartriptheater at gmail.com. That's theater with an R-E, the fancy spelling. This episode was produced, written, recorded, and edited by me with some sound effects by my kids. I'd like to thank my wife and two children for putting up with me. And thanks to Virginia for doing the voice of the first police officer. I'd like to thank you, kind listeners, for making it all the way through this thing. Too high to touch your head, too low to touch a worm.